It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul's taking your calls at 0818103103 in texts and uh, WhatsApps. Also available to you at 0862103103. And a lot of the newspapers today as we're into the countdown to the budget less than two weeks uh, to go. A lot of the newspapers today are looking at uh, what we can expect in the budget. There's been so much talk and people will say it's kite flying but I, I, I think by the time the Minister for um, Finance gets to his feet I think there's going to be very little that we don't know uh, there might be just some tweaking around the edges I know on the this morning on the news a lot of the coverage has been given to the fact that tomorrow the government is going to improve approve a rise in the minimum wage, an extra 80 cent, which is a big jump. Uh, the minimum wage normally doesn't go up by an 80 cent. Sounds like nothing. But, you know, when you look back at previously when the minimum wage went up, it might have gone up by 20 cent an hour or by 50 cent an hour. But it's 80 cent an hour, which will bring it to 11 euro 30 cent per hour from the beginning of next year. Now, it's still not a lot of money. I mean, somebody who is working on the minimum wage, they still would be deemed low earners so a lot more needs to be uh, to be done and with as I say just two weeks to go to the budget the government are promising that every single household in the country will benefit in some way from the budget Now that normally doesn't happen with the budget there's usually a cohort of people who will gain and then there's always people will always in the days after the budget hear about people who say they got absolutely nothing out of the budget so the government are very brave in, in reckoning that every household is going to gain in some way but I suppose the big challenge that's going to face the government is the need to try to balance the measures, measures that will immediately help householders, because let's be honest, householders need help now. They don't need help next year. They're going to need it almost as soon as the Minister for Finance and the Minister for Public Expenditure sits down. People are going to say, OK, you've announced that. When when are we going to get it? So there's the balance between uh, that and also then trying to sustain economic recovery into the future that because they can hand things out but if we don't have economic recovery they're not going to have the money to give the things that's that's going to be needed to people to try to curb the rising cost of living so far we know that the budget 2023 the package is worth 6.7 billion 
I don't know if any government ever before has had a package as high uh, as that. So it's going to be 6.7 euro worth of spending increases and tax tax cuts. Now, three billion of it obviously is already uh, committed. But on the cost of living package, uh, they reckon two billion will be announced in some kind of giveaways and supports uh, to people. And that's a huge, huge uh, sum of uh, money. Now, uh, taking a look at under sort of different headings, for example, in taxation, what is being spoken about is a widening of the income tax bans. What would that mean? It means to people who are working, it'll see people take home more of their salary. And for many people, it will move them out of the higher income tax rate. I don't know if Leo Varadkar is going to get his way something he's been talking about quite some time, which is the idea of a 30% income uh, band, you know, so there will be a 20% rate, a 30% rate and a 40% uh, rate. Certainly following on what different political correspondents are saying and listening to different ministers, etc., the possibility of that really does seem to be uh, diminishing. I'm not saying that it's off the table yet, but I don't know if it is going to be announced uh, in the budget at the end of this month. Now, energy credits, it's the one that's got a lot of publicity in the last few days. And obviously, we've got soaring energy bills. So it's almost a certainty, I take it now, that householders are in for a series of energy credits from the government. We know that they gave uh, €200 back in March. It's going to be the same as that, but it's going to be more than 200 euro it's expected now and what's the figure that's been banded about is a total of 600 euro off electricity bills now obviously that's not going to come all off one bill what I I can see them doing is it'll be over a six month period it'll be every it'll be done in three installments so it'll be every two months over the next six months so therefore it'll bring up it so you'll get part of it before Christmas but it'll also go into the spring part of it will be paid after at Christmas it's also expected that the government will assist businesses with mammoth energy bills we've heard from a number of those businesses on this uh, programme that they're just unsustainable some of the bills that are coming in so something has to be done about that and obviously the government are going to be doing everything to try to prioritise prote- protecting jobs uh, the Taoiseach Michal Martin indicated this week that a system of energy credits as opposed to a cap on bills that's what they're looking at including in the budget householders will also benefit from windfall taxes on energy firms earnings but this relief won't happen until after the budget announcement because the EU, they've got, we're waiting for the EU to agree the deal. Then people who are living on welfare and relying solely on welfare. These are people who really are, are on a very much a fixed income. There'll be one, they're, they're talking about a one-off double payment of social welfare. A little bit like the Christmas, what they give at the Christmas bonus, but there'll be a separate one that will be done before Christmas. They're also talking about a doubling of the child benefit payment. So one month when you go to collect your child benefit, uh, it will be double the usual uh, amount. And that's all of that will form part of the government's package to help with the cost of living crisis but is also expected that wealthy will increase in the budget as well. Micheál Martin is saying that money will be targeted at families and at uh, children. So families with children who pay childcare, childcare and the cost of childcare can, can, can in many cases be as high as the cost of a mortgage. So the Children's Minister Roderick O'Gormand, he's adamant that his plan is to reduce the cost of childcare for payments. It's understood the government parties have agreed that childcare costs will decline by 200 euro per month next year 
and then the following year they'll come down by a further 200 euro per month so that certainly would be very welcome news for people who are paying high childcare cost on housing uh, which is we are in the middle of a housing crisis let's be honest government sources are indicating that renters will feature in the support measures in the upcoming budget now that would be a, a good news the Department of Housing is pushing for some kind of a tax credit because at the moment people are paying very very high rents and they can't claim anything back by way of a tax credit on the amount of rent that they uh, pay officials believe it would be a quick and an easy thing to do for tenants particularly those that are, are experiencing increasing rental uh, costs at a time when supply is at an all-time low so it's not a case that somebody say well I'll walk away from this property and I'll find a cheaper one the cheaper one the supply of houses simply isn't there Dara O'Brien housing minister also saying there will be some kind of a relief package for landlords now the aim of that is to incentivise them to remain in the market because we know so many landlords are leaving the market. Then under education, certainly for anyone who is going into third level or if you have a son or daughter going into third level, they're talking about if you get the SUSE grant, 25% increase in that has been considered. And they're also looking at the the third level fees, the the registration fees. I know there's a different name on them now. What is it, €3,000 at the moment? Uh, They're looking at those being uh, reduced. That will all get announced in the budget. And then under health, the government has already moved to abolish inpatient hospital charges for children. That's due to come into effect in the coming weeks, even though that was announced uh, ages ago. But anyway, that's finally due to come in. But it's also expected that, you know, the €80 a day charge that people have to pay if they go into a hospital up to a maximum of 80 euro, 800 euro a year. They're also talking about that being slashed and that will certainly help people who are faced with hospital charges. As I say, there's some of what's been uh, mentioned, but I think when we do have the budget at the end of the month, it'll be that and more, but it's just uh, how quickly the help can get out to uh, people because as I said at the outset of that uh, people need the help and they need it immediately. 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103-103. Just by way of a warning, thank you Michael for this, he sent me in a text saying hi Patricia just to let others be aware, I got a text yesterday evening and it came on the HSE thread uh, saying reminding me uh, where I got a reminder about my booster. The text yesterday evening says, Michael you've been in contact with somebody who has who has COV slash 19 variant. No such thing exists. Follow instructions here and then it's asking Michael to click on a link which is testsafetydepartment.com book now to order your testing kit obviously Michael straight away was aware that it was a scam but but how clever they're gone I think that is that called spoofing where they can actually put their scam text into a thread so it looks like it's come from the HSE but of course it hasn't so just to make people aware of that please please be careful I mentioned the increase in the minimum wage a listener says hi, Patri- hi Patricia an extra 80 cent rise an hour for the minimum wage I feel is an insult to a worker. How do the government expect people to live? I bet there'll be a higher increase to those who are living on social welfare. It really is a joke. And the recommendation, by the way, for the 80 cent uh, rise, which is expected to be approved by the government uh, tomorrow, uh, the recommendation is from a group called the Low Pay Commission. 
And I, I did say that I thought it was one of the higher, even though I know 80 cents sounds pathetic, but it is the biggest increase in the minimum uh, wage by the Commission. But interestingly, while the Commission are recommending this, they've also warned that the rate alone cannot compensate workers for inflation and the recent increases in the cost of living. And it went on to recommend that additional measures are taken to support low paid uh, workers. They, they also go on uh, to talk about the so-called living wage and they say that the minimum wage should be replaced by the minimum by the a living wage by 2026 and the living wage is set at 60% of the or the minimum wage is set at 60% of the average wage but they even accept that a minimum wage is not a uh, living wage and I was looking at who makes up that there's a, you know, a variety of people are on that low pay, pay commission the, the nominees on that low pay commission from the Irish Congress of Trade Unions so a group very much representing the workers they and they're part of the commission they described the age cent increase per hour as inadequate and both of the, the Irish Congress of Trade Unions nominees on the Low Pay Commission actually opposed the recommendation so not everybody is happy about the increase. They're saying it is too low at uh, 80 cent so uh, thank you for your text. Uh, this uh, yesterday my apologies that I didn't get to this yesterday but uh, hi Patricia referring to your conversation about power savings on your programme this week I personally think that all persons should be back working in the office or working in their place of work then the heating in offices could be turned down much lower why? Well body heat if you have more people in the office body heat is very powerful it would also save an enormous amount of power being used in people's houses for people who are opting to work at home. What is wrong with our government and indeed our companies that they're still allowing staff to work from home? The COVID pandemic is well over. The pandemic is well over. But anyway, I know the point you're making. Life has returned to some kind of normality. So we need to get Ireland back to normal, says this texter. Also, if all of the people that are still working from home went back in to their work offices, that would also help the economy, especially the coffee shops and the cafes by people buying their coffee, popping out to buy their lunch etc and therefore it will keep everyone in employment so this listener wants a push for people to return to the to the workplace what we seem to have now and you know and I don't know whether the government can force anyone to go back into the office what I'm certainly hearing a lot more of is kind of a blended workplace where people might work in the office three days a week and they're working from home two days a week which I have to remember for the advantage for people working at home is all to do with the work-life balance and companies who at one time would have had a huge set against anyone working from home believing that productivity would fall if workers were working at home rather than in the office. Then of course COVID hit and everybody had to, or as many people as possible had to work from home and companies started to see that they were getting as much from their worker and in some cases even more from their workers working from home. So I think companies saw the benefit of it but I did read a report last week where they reckon for people who are opting and companies are allowing people to either work from home full time or a blended mix where half in the office half the week in the office half of the week at home for many people you've you've hit one point the cost of energy at home and the cost of keeping a house warm. There are some workers while they're enjoying working from home realise that they have additional electricity costs and they'll have additional heating costs. Costs that during COVID times mightn't have been too bad 
but certainly costs that are going to be much higher as we go into this winter and into next spring and that you will find some workers will be contacting their bosses saying remember I said I was happy to work from home I suddenly am not it's costing me too much I prefer to return to the office so I think we will see more people return to the office but I don't know if I'm comfortable about forcing people if you know if they're happy to work from home and if their companies are happy to allow them to work from home I don't know should we be forcing anyone to go back to the office but your thoughts are welcomed on that 0818 103 103 would it be a way of saving energy by saying to everybody stop this working from home everyone must go back to the office because there will be less power used in people's houses and I don't know I don't know if there's ever been studies on by having more people sitting in an office together the heat from people's bodies I know if you walk into a room there's a lot of people there will be body heat doesn't mean that you can turn down the thermostat on the radiator then because you've got 10 people in the office rather than two text or whatsapp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, a situation in which a student was asked for an intimate photo of herself by a landlord is, according to the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, a clear example of sexual exploitation within the housing market. Joining me from the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre is a uh, Nolene Blackwell. Good morning to you, Nolene. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Good to talk to you. And Thank you. Always great to talk to you. Now, this is such a disturbing uh, story. It was a case highlighted by the Irish ex- Examiner. Uh, wh- what do you know about this case and wh- wh- what do you believe happened? So I am um, going by Anne Murphy's account as well. It's not the first time that Anne Murphy and the Examiner have uh, found uh, real troubling information around the kind of exploitation that's going on in a housing market where people are desperate for accommodation. So it is, um, it is, it is clear that in this case, um, the, uh, the young woman seems to have got a tenancy in a house, and then the person who was to be her landlord asked her to send um, an intimate image, an image of her in her underwear, to him. Now, there is no reasonable explanation that I can think of that that is proper or that there is any uh, justifiable reason why that would be done. It is the only reason to do that is to uh, treat the woman as a sexual object and there must be a reasonable suspicion in that case that the man wanted to make sexual advances to her and whether objectively that's right or not it certainly put this woman in fear and it would put me in fear if I was in that situation Patricia if somebody asked me to do that I would I would read that as a signal that someone was expecting to have uh, some sort of sexual relations with me if I continued in the tenancy. And she had already paid this guy a deposit. It, it, you know, she had secured, as she thought, secured yes. the property. And then this line of, oh, I want a photograph of you in your underwear. Yes. I mean, just, uh, and yes. obviously then when she refused, suddenly there was problems with the room not being available. Yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, the fact that she had paid a deposit meant that she had put herself in the situation of a tenant. So this made it even worse because we now had a situation where somebody had a duty as a landlord to provide a safe place, safe accommodation for their tenants. The accommodation has to be safe. And now 
the that request in I think to any reasonably minded person or certainly to me looks like making a place that you cannot be sure it is safe mm. you cannot be sure you're um, not going to be uh, subject to some sort of sexual predation and that is really problematic and I see Anne has followed up on that story today by saying, by uh, disappointing um, uh, reaction that this woman seems to have received from uh, the Gardaí uh, when she went and they, uh, according to the report, uh, it suggested that they didn't see the problem. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm sure and you do. One hundred percent. And I was gobsmacked this morning when I read that the guardies said no offence had been committed. Right. So, so that is. I mean, technically, Patricia, even if that is true, that no offence has been committed, or that it's not easy to see it, it is perfectly clear that someone is asking for something that is putting a, a tenant in a position of harm and uh, uh, this woman isn't going ahead with the tenancy but that is someone who may ask the next person who wants the room uh, for similar uh, photos or sexual favours and depending on how desperate the person is they may be obliged they may feel obliged to give that sexual um, uh, uh, favours which which is an offence so it's the first step to an offence and therefore, I do think it is really, I, I, I would be disappointed if that meant that people felt they couldn't go to a guard about something that is really creepy and intimidating, possibly harassing. Uh, and that certainly looks like something that if harm isn't, if, if there isn't an offence in what's being asked for at the moment, that it is a first step uh, towards an offence taking place further down the line. And, because, and I, yeah. because it is it is an offence to ask for sexual favours in return for any type of consideration, not just money. Uh, uh, you know, uh, rent would be another occasion. So, so it is actually illegal for a landlord to do that. Yeah, and, and this particular uh, student is a young student from from Mexico. Uh, overseas students, um, Noli, uh, are, are indeed migrant workers. They're more at risk and they? they seem to be much more vulnerable and more at risk to this kind of exploitation because they don't even necessarily have a family with them who can go exactly. and say to them, that's, you know, forget that, yeah. you, you know, you're not yeah. renting that property. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I suppose, the smaller your circle of support is, the more li- the more vulnerable you are. So somebody born and raised in Ireland may have somebody they can go to that they don't have to enter into, you know, that, that literally they may be able to stay with somebody for a while, which may take the pressure off them. And they may be able to discuss it with somebody else. I mean, to have to try and tell, say, your mother on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean and that this is happening, you know, can you imagine oh. how fearful their family must be for them as well? Um, and and how how outraged and, you know, just nervous for their daughter they must be in a case like this. Um, uh, so, so it's just, it is, it's, uh, I think it's really important that it gets highlighted. I think... You know, you, you don't have to be a migrant to have landlords make advances. I know, you know, we run the National 24-Hour Helpline at one eight hundred seventy seven eighty eight eighty eight, And from time to time, our helpline will tell us that 
and they uh, they are getting calls from people who are freaked uh, by their landlord's behaviour coming into their rooms. They you know they may not they may be um, originally Irish, they may be originally from somewhere else. So it can happen. But in every single case, it is wrong. It is it is not allowed to have a landlord create an unsafe accommodation for a tenant. Uh, and if they are looking for sexual favours in return for a rent or a bed, and we are hearing of this from time to time, then that is actually criminal behaviour. Yeah. And actually, that poor young student from Mexico, you know, what, what happened with her, with that particular landlord, and obviously she didn't send on the photograph, then trying to get her, her deposit back. Then the next landlord that she dealt with was willing to rent her a room as long as she shared a bed with him. I mean, that, no. that would frighten the living daylights out of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you'd be, you'd be ashamed. You'd be ashamed, uh, really, on, on, on her behalf that someone would come to Ireland in order to pursue whatever it was she wanted to pursue and that this is what she found in the accommodation market. There is no excuse whatsoever. The sharing of the bed in return for rent is undoubtedly forbidden by law. It is criminal behaviour to ask for any sexual intercourse or favours in return for consideration, which includes uh, um, rent, uh, reduction in rent, as well as straightforward money. So, you know, it's not, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong in yeah, law. Yeah. But, that, but that people feel that, that it's, that you know, that anyone thinks it's okay to exploit a person in this way as well means that we have to, I think we really have to go further than just saying this is a matter only for the guards. It must be a matter that um, does get reported on a very regular basis. Yes, to the guards. Yes, to um, any uh, agency that will take it, including the uh, rented tenancies tribunal. But also, I just think some of us must know these landlords and we must be worried about And I think we all have to call it out and say there are no circumstances in which that's acceptable. There's no circumstances in which anyone but, should be asked. But, 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 but I, I have a real fear, uh, Nolene, that there's more of this going on than we know about. Yeah. Because of the housing crisis, no signs of the housing crisis uh, abating. I mean, I was only reading the papers this morning and I know we're hoping to do something on it this week. You know, uh, students, particularly the first year, year students who got their CAO offers, desperately scrambling for accommodation. Yeah. I'm fearful that it's going on and people are just afraid. I, I need the yeah. roof over my head. I need to go to yeah. college. I need to go to work. That's it, right. It is a possibility, isn't it? That it That's is going, right. Yeah. That is right. That is right. And I think a lot of people, you know, if you're looking for somewhere to stay and that's taking all of your spare time, all of your headspace, you kind of go, I'm, I haven't time to be sorting this out for somebody else coming after me. So, you know, you are talking about people who are under huge pressure already um, and are being asked really to highlight this really harmful behaviour um, on behalf of the rest of us. So there is a good chance that it is more widespread. As I say, it didn't take this housing crisis uh, for, land, for hearing of stories of landlords trying to exploit people, but undoubtedly this makes it much easier and it does look like some people are very brazen 
written about what they will look for, um, that they think in some way that it is all right or that they won't get called out over it or that they won't get uh, prosecuted for it. So there is... Um, you know, it, it's, it is desperately worrying. Okay. All right. So we need to call it out and we need people to report it. Uh, Nolene, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Nolene Blackwell of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. 0818 103 103. And by the way, um, well done to Anne Murphy of the Irish Examiner once again, highlighting uh, these uh, stories. She really has put a lot of work into them in the past and she uh, continues to do it. Uh, so well done uh, to her. John Paul's taking your call, 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, with the Thornish that Leo Varadkar this week admitting to party members that the removing of the fees from this year's school bus scheme was the wrong decision, it appears that all elective representatives are now inundated with calls from constituents whose children cannot get a seat on the local school bus. To hear the concerns of two local county councillors, I'm joined from West Cork by Independent Councillor Declan Hurley. But first, I'm joined in North Cork by Councillor Frank O'Flynn. Um, good morning to you, Frank. Uh, good morning, Patricia. and good, good morning, Declan. And good morning, listeners. OK, now you have a story from yesterday, Frank, where I believe students were asked to get off the school bus. Did an inspector get on or something? Yes, we had a big issue in Kildallery, uh, where quite a lot of students from Kildallery and the surrounding, like Shamblemore, uh, and we've up to 25 uh, students at the moment, mostly you could say Shamblemore and the surrounding areas, who still have no ticket. And yesterday morning, uh, they were asked, some students were asked to get off the bus and they were left off. So parents dropped them, went away talking, thinking they'd be on the bus. Then they got phone calls from the, the children. They had to organise, some were at work. They had to organise neighbours and friends to take those children into Mitchelltown to school. And at the end, they had to organise tra- uh, transport again to bring them back home. It's not good enough. Were, were there free seats on the bus? There was. There was free free, free seats in the bus. And it was actually in Shamblemore, or in Kildallery this morning, and met all the parents from the different areas. And there was ample room on the bus, and all students got on. And I was there. Okay, say say there, Declan Hurley's on the other line uh, from West Cork. Good morning, Declan. Good morning, Patricia. Declan, you know of a bus that has spare seats. Are are there students who could avail of those spare seats? I know of two buses. Uh, to be honest, uh, Patricia, there's one eighteen-seater bus um, currently with five empty seats on it, and there's a fifty-five-seater bus with twenty empty seats on it, driving around, transporting kids to school, and empty buses, uh, empty seats on these buses. And that you know that there are students who, who would like to get on those buses. I do, and uh, I know in, in, a, in a little village close to where I'm living here in West Cork, there's 22 students currently have been refused concessional tickets because of where they're living, their location, uh, the school that they're going to isn't um, identified on the route as they're close to school. And these, 20, these 22 students have, um, have no bus ticket to get on a bus. Yes, their buses are coming on West Cork. Um, providing through school transport with 20 seats, which could accommodate these two, uh, these 22 students. So I'm just thinking, uh, picturing the scene, so much for carbon emissions. You've got a bus leaving the area with these seats free and you've got parents in cars behind the same bus driving in the same direction to drop their kids off. Yeah, you, you have families with one or two or maybe three um, kids or students going to the same school uh, two, I, one family I know, they have three kids going to secondary school. 
two kids have uh, bus passes and the third hasn't. They're still waiting and hoping they're going to get it. And that parent, either the mum or the dad, has to sit into the car and follow the bus to the school and drop off their third kids. It's just mad. It's just... No sense whatsoever. And and, and Frank, the students yesterday who were asked to get off the bus by the inspector, did they in previous years have a concessionary ticket? I'm meeting quite a lot of parents and uh, whose children had uh, tickets in previous years. One parent yeah. this morning, but the last four years, two kids, four years and five. This year, no ticket whatsoever and no reason. And to put children off a bus on the side of the road in this day and age is an absolute disgrace. And what's happening? The overall plan. Now, this is going on, Patricia, for years and for years. But this year is, the fa- is, is worse. Even during COVID, we're able to solve it. We put on extra buses. And we've up to 25 at the moment in the Shamble Moore Kildallar uh, area. We've up to just short of 20 in Kildown and in Linville. We've been in Danmut, where people, what the parents did, fair juice them. They organised their own bus and they're paying for it. And in Candleland, um, they have no passing down the road above, but bus airing and, and the Department of Education, but, uh, whatever decision they make, whatever reasons themselves, they won't divert the bus down, which is a natural route down to Candleland. So, Patricia and listeners, what's happening here is an absolute disgrace because we knew exactly how many would be going last April. Everyone knows who's going to which schools. But this is a, a, a situation is arising every year. The solution is very, very simple. Provide extra buses. Now, we have an issue at the moment. Some bus operators are telling me, Frank, we have buses but no drivers because of the 70-year rule. A school bus driver cannot drive the bus to the school. But if the school asks them to go to the swimming, I'll, I'll go to a match, I'll go for a day out. There's no problem whatsoever. So I would ask the minister to lift that ban. Like we did it for the NCT test, and we also did it, did it for um, the driving licence. So it's easy enough to react. But we have to get a solution, and the solution has to be found this year. And the solution is very simple. Provide extra buses where they're needed. Like 25 children above yesterday morning with no tickets whatsoever, and they're very upset. They're, some are doing their leaving sets. They're going, parents are walking. They're walking different shifts. Well, it's, yes, very, it's, very a, it's, a, it's an absolute nightmare for, for parents. Four and Declan, 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 Frank makes a good point. During COVID times when we couldn't have children sitting on top of each other, we had to, you know, all be social distancing and all of that. We, we found the extra buses. So there are buses out there, Declan. They are, and there is private bus operators willing to come on board and assist and, and sort out this mess. And, and what we have, Patricia, here is a monumental cock-up by the department and the minister because Frank and myself and other public reps have been year after year calling for a complete overhaul of the school transport system. It's going, it's, it was put together back in the 1970s. It's outdated. It's not working. It's not fit for purpose. And there are buses out there. And there's buses this morning that hit the school empty seats on the buses. That's the problem because and I think it's inhumane for at this point in time when families are stressed through the roof with anxiety and worry about basic life, cost of living and all that. And now to be getting phone calls saying the buses, the inspectors told me off the bus, how am I going to get home, how am I get to school? Like There should be some compassion shown to families and kids um, at this point in time. I'm hoping today when the government resumes that the minister is going to come over hiding and, and just give, there's a huge void of um, information here. Once families need to know what's happening, what plan is in place, how are they going to address this? They're ringing me, they're ringing Frank. We haven't got the answers, unfortunately. We're trying to find out the answers. And I have to say, some of the bus inspectors are very uh, accommodating to the public reps, trying to give us as much information as they can. But until the minister comes out and says, this is what we're going to do, 
um, we're just completely in the dark and it's not good enough at this stage. Frank, do you, do you believe it was the wrong decision to waiver the fees this year? No, it wasn't the wrong decision to waiver. I, I welcome that and I welcome But the wrong decision was for children who previously had tickets. They should have held on to that ticket. I'm great believer what you have in this life, you hold. They took the tickets off of children who, uh, who wear them for many, many years and for no reason and no explanation. But there was no proper plan done, Patricia. They knew there was extra pupils. They knew the numbers. They had the time. Well, as the soon as you offer something free, yes. people jump at it. And I by all accounts, 44,000. Well, well, Patricia, in 1968, Don O'Malley brought in free education in this country. It was the best thing that ever happened. The four men's son and the rich men's son could get on the bus and get to secondary level. It changed. The, the Education is power and education is the most important thing. And I was a woman killed all of this morning and parents there. They should be at work. They, were there. they didn't know whether their children would be left on or not. And I was there with them. It was an absolute disgrace. And of course the children lost. There's parents and children upset and very upset for no reason whatsoever. Didn't, some of those had to go back to work to parents. Some didn't have to take other children to the national school. And some had to make other arrangements. They were both this morning killed all And you didn't know whether you were going to get on the bus. Even though there were seats in the bus. I'm delighted that, and the bus drivers are very, very helpful. Also, I'm not blaming... It's the, unfair on the bus drivers. No, We've heard from some blaming, bus drivers, blaming, yeah. Not, neither am I blaming, the, the, blaming um, the, the inspectors. The inspector has a job to do, and he's through. But the inspector I know, uh, Pat O'Hanlon and Ken Robson, there's no one more helpful. They'll answer a call at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. But the problem is, Frank, we have buses and no drivers. There's plenty of buses there. Can, can, I'm asking the minister, I'm asking bus Aaron, and I'm asking the path to education. For God's sake, start this now. This is when it should be started. People are very worried and they're very, very stressed. Okay, Extra and, and, and simple to do it and provide them. And the buses are there. Declan, uh, by, have you heard of anyone who got a concessionary ticket this year? Have they issued any concessionary tickets? Not that I'm aware of. No. I, I families that have got them for the last two, three, and four years, and this year they haven't got it. And they're, they're hoping, it's hope that it's on the way, and we're hearing that uh, there's applications still being processed. But like we're, we're in to come into the end of September and families need to know because they have to put measures in place to deal with this, this fiasco. Well, we're probably into about the third week of children being back Patricia, at school. Patricia, yeah. there's, there's a big backlog in the issuing tickets. I do not know what, what's the problem. What's the, what, why is it taking so long? They should not Patricia, this is the reason I put it down last Monday in Cockney Council. I went to tell, thank Declan and my fellow councillors. It took about an hour's discussion. And it was one of the most important motions. And the reason I put it down was I have pay- parents from many areas, but especially from Shamblemore, Kildalway, especially from Kildine and Glenville, Clanworth, and in Clandalane. What's happening this year? This is going on now, Patricia, for year in, year out. And if you have an issue money, you go and solve. The issue is very, very easy to solve. And I'm asking the Minister, the Department of Education, to sit down and solve it. Extra buses is the answer. Put them in. The children need. The parents at the moment are absolutely at wit's end. They don't know what's going to have to say in Mitchstown this evening. Are they going to be left on on that? In this day and age, that's not right. Those children, in actual fact, in Shamblemore, they should have their own bus. There's enough pupils there in Shamblemore. And another thing, parents and their children decide where they want to go to school. And most of the parents in Shamblemore want their children to go. To yeah, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be dictated by, by a bus. And, 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 I, and I also think of those parents that you mentioned who organise their own bus. They are now paying a lot more yeah. than what they would have been paying if they hadn't wavered the school bus fees. I've got to leave it there, uh, gentlemen. Uh, it, it definitely is an unprecedented issue uh, this year. It's an issue we deal with every every year but I've never seen it as bad as it is this year so thank you both uh, for joining us this morning thank you Patricia
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is councillors Frank O'Flynn and Declan Hurley with the ongoing saga of people trying to get on the school bus and students being asked to get off the school bus because they don't have the ticket. 0818-103-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 86 to 103 103. We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 coming up and in the next hour we're going to meet the young man who's going to be ordained. The only ordination to take place in the parish of Cork and Ross. It's happening in Town next Sunday. Uh, we'll speak with him after news at 11. Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We ask to congratulate John McCarthy from Dunmanway on winning best in class at the World Wheelchair Rugby European Qualification Championships. A well-deserved recognition, I'm told, for all of John's hard work. So congratulations to John McCarthy from Dunmanway. And Margaret on our Twitter at C103 Cork says, please, 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 could Cork County Council clean the verges of the roads and open the gullies to take the runoff of excess water, particularly when and if we get heavy downpours of rain. Margaret says that they cut the vegetation on the roadside outside their property, but she says there's too much build-up of earth on the roadsides and she reckons it hasn't been cleared in years and that then of course leads to whenever we get when we had that recent heavy rainfall and we were talking about floods on roads and excess water on roads and that's the reason for it if the the gullies haven't been cleared there's nowhere for the water to run off uh, to thank you for that uh, Margaret on landlords oh this is responding to Nolene Blackwell who joined me on the programme at the top of the hour or the last hour yesterday from the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre talking about those cases that have been highlighted by Anne Murphy in the Irish Examiner of the young Mexican student being asked to send intimate photographs in order to secure a room in a tenancy in a house and then when she wouldn't do that she went to another landlord and he said yeah I can rent you a room but you're going to have to share the bed with me Uh, by the way she has got sorted out she's gone into a house um, and she's getting subsidised rent in the house because she's going in as a part carer as well so it has worked out for her but it's all to do with the sexual exploitation and what is going on with the housing crisis and my real real fear is that there's more of it and we just have women and it is mainly women who are being sexually exploited by some landlords and God it's only some landlords that there could be more of it going on but in order to keep the roof over their heads they were afraid to speak out. Somebody said that Lady Nolan who you spoke with is extremely good at explaining what is going on. Listen to her with interest and it's a disgrace it needs to stop uh, landlords and I'll have to say some landlords are real chancers in lots of different ways says this uh, texter but then morning Patricia uh, these landlords that you're speaking about and that Nolan was highlighting they can't be real landlords who have been in the business for a good while no landlord I know would dream of behaving like that a society yeah 100% listen and that's one of the reasons is that it is some landlords but unfortunately some who are getting away with it and will try and get away with it will uh, continue that's why it has to be called out that's why we need to speak about it and we need to get the message out to people that you need to report it if it is or if it has gone on thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 then on the bus situation 
that we also highlighted in the last hour and students having no seat on the bus and even people who there was a spare seat been asked to get off. Seamus says uh, buses and no drivers. The reason why we have so few bus drivers, says uh, Seamus, is because now it is so much more expensive to obtain a bus driving licence and that is simply off-putting. There's no incentive to go and become a bus driver. Uh, The licence along with all of the rubbish with tests to qualify too much red tape involved according to Seamus. I wasn't aware of that Uh, and the added problem that Frank O'Flynn highlighted and we've highlighted before, once they hit the age once bus drivers hit the age of 70 even though they're fighting fit, well able to drive a bus, you can't drive a school bus under bus airing rules once you hit the age of 70 yet the complete stupidity of it a bus driver aged 71 2, 3, 4 or 5 can turn up to a school this morning and take all the pupils onto his his or her bus and take them very safely to a football match to a hurling match take them to the local swimming pool to go swimming yet they can't in the morning or in the evening drive the school bus it just makes no sense uh, at all and then Mossy says uh, Patricia on Franco Flynn if uh, ha- How could he compare the introduction of free secondary education to the waiving of the the fees for school transport this year? The former, the introduction of free secondary education, was properly properly thought out. The latter, the waiving of the school bus fees just for this uh, year, uh, is a living calamity, says Mossy. And I think therein lies the problem. It just... And, and, you know, in the defence of the Minister for Education who announced it, Norma Foley, she thought she was doing a great thing. She thought she was going to be helping out families whose children do go on the school bus. Cost of living. We were all talking about cost of living in the summer. We're still talking about it, says you, as we go into the, or we're in the autumn and as we head into the winter. She thought she was doing the right thing. But, yeah, I think you're right. It wasn't thought out in that what was the knock-on effect of announcing the waiving of this of the bus fees. I mean, the first thing that happened was suddenly they opened up the portal again, and people could apply for a seat on the bus. People who whose sons and daughters they weren't planning on putting them on the bus, but suddenly now that it's free, forty four thousand extra students appeared who wanted to go on the school bus, and many of them entitled to it. But just because you're entitled to it, not everybody used the school bus. Some didn't use it because of the cost. Others didn't use it because you know the parents were in, in a position to drive them to school. But suddenly, when it was free. It's just, it's, I don't know what, it's in our psyche, isn't it? When something is free and if you're entitled to it, everybody decides to uh, grab it. I, I, I can't quite understand it, but uh, it certainly does uh, happen. Thank you for your uh, text. Then also, just let me stay on that subject on the buses, because I think there was a few more calls in on that, or there was certainly another call from someone who makes Michael and Skippery I think he's thrown up an interesting point talking about the students who were asked to get off the school bus yesterday because they didn't have a ticket. And we also had Gillian Powell from Bandon on. Remember last week, the week before, it happened in Bandon as well. And the situation in Bandon was even worse because the students had gone to school in the morning on the bus and it was in the afternoon when they were on the bus to go home when the inspector got on that he he or she discovered not everybody had a ticket. The ones who didn't have a ticket were asked to get off the bus and then suddenly... Students were caught in town, away from their homes, couldn't walk home and parents were frantically at work trying to get in to collect them, etc. And I imagine yesterday morning as well with the ones 
in in Kildallery who were asked to get off the bus parents would have just dropped them off and left them so there would have been parents you know having to do U-turns and maybe already reached work and had to come back and collect them and get them into school but Michael is making a point who's responsible for the welfare of the child if a child is sitting on the bus and the parent thought in good faith that they were entitled to be on the bus what if something happened to one of the children on the, on the side of the road uh, for for example um, who who would be responsible and I, I don't know but it, it's a good point now do I take it it was secondary school you'd never they never they surely couldn't ask primary school children to get off a bus and leave them on the side of the road could they I don't know but yeah it's it certainly is a good point it, it absolutely is a good point and, and we'll see if anybody has an answer for that or if anybody um, let us know I'd, I'd love to know what is the answer to that 0818 103 on the minimum wage that we mentioned is going to go up it's expected to be approved by the government tomorrow go up by 80 cent an hour Fred says, Patricia, I am afraid putting up the minimum wage is only going to push up prices again for everybody the following day. Businesses are not able to just hand out extra money to staff and simply absorb all the cost. We need to tackle the cost of living instead, i.e. do it through VAT, fees, charges, tax, levies, etc., which will benefit everyone, regardless of what you earn. We are the most expensive country for everything at this stage, said uh, Fred. And that it, it will be a problem for smaller businesses who work on very tight margins, uh, Fred. Absolutely think you're right. While I do agree that the minimum wage needs to uh, increase, it's at a very low rate with people trying particularly with the cost of living and you would feel for anyone who is on trying to live and survive on the minimum wage but the knock on it is that the businesses will have to pay it and the businesses will not be able to absorb all of the uh, costs because I just saw while the news at 11 was on I just saw a story pop up on my feed. It's out of Roscommon, but again, it's a Roscommon supermarket owner. But I'm assuming that similar electric bills are arriving to other supermarket owners around the country. But this particular uh, lady, it must be a big enough supermarket. She employs uh, 35 uh, people and she just got in her bill for August into September. So sort of, you know, the standard, it would be the August bill, wouldn't it, I suppose? Yeah, it usually runs on a calendar month. And for businesses, for households, we get it every two months. But for businesses, something I didn't know until this energy crisis started, they seem to get a monthly bill. And her monthly bill, which is due out on direct debit on the 17th of September, which is Saturday, is 20,882 euro and 59 cent for one month and this uh, woman said she a, a woman by the name of Anne Anne Timothy she said she literally burst into tears when, when she saw it her bill back in January she was just talking about how her bill has gone up from January through to September her bill in January for the month was 6,600 so a bill for electricity for a supermarket goes from 6,600 to almost 21,000 and you know the fear is that the, uh, the energy costs will go up again so that bill will be even higher next month could be even higher into November and December I mean how in God's name can you absorb costs like that and then and I don't know if many of her 35 workers are on a minimum wage but if they are on a minimum wage then she'd be expected to uh, pay the additional fees the, the additional 80 cent per hour as well so yeah I can understand Fred where you're coming from with your point while nobody I don't think there's anybody would say that somebody on a minimum wage doesn't deserve a, an increase it's how our business is going to absorb the cost Pat from says for once I want to congratulate the government uh, in 
I've always been saying increase the minimum uh, wage and they've done it. I feel it should be increased every year by 80 cent, said Pat. I'm waiting now for the backlash from businesses with regard to this, saying they can't afford the increase. But Pat's answer is to those businesses, if you can't afford the increase, then you shouldn't be in business. We have to bite the bullet and do this for the working people. But you're basically then saying, Pat, to businesses who can't afford to absorb the costs costs you're saying to them go out of business they're not going to affect then is the very workers that you're advocating on behalf of will lose their jobs I mean and nobody wants that uh, either and I know it's one of the promises in the government is to try to keep as many people as possible in uh, work 0818103103 and then a couple of comments in with regard to working from home remember we had a listener who felt that the one thing we could do for the energy crisis was to get everybody get away from this working from home Go back to the way it was before COVID, everybody back into the office and the listener reckoned you would save on the heating bills in people's houses and she also reckoned even within offices they could turn down the heat because if they had a full office with lots of people, body heat would generate extra and it will, will lessen the amount of heating that needs to be used. Not everyone is in agreement with going back into the office. Mary says, what about the cost of commuting and the emissions from petrol and diesel if it became compulsory for people to return and work from the office full time? That along with congested roadways causing even more admissions plus the increased cost of parking. It has to be an agreement between the employer and the employee if both gain as a result so well and good as we need every penny to cope nowadays from uh, says Mary and I'm assuming Mary is somebody who works from home and very much in uh, favour of uh, it also um, the working from the office and people being forced to go back in and work from the office somebody said no office for me the money you would save on electricity would simply get swallowed up in the amount of petrol and diesel you'd have to put into the car. It's a stupid idea. Whoever came up with that says this uh, texter and one final one. Hi Patricia. In relation to working from home it actually suits a lot of people. It costs a lot to run a car. Traffic is brutal at the moment. Schools and colleges don't have the congestion either. If a lot of workers are in the office and the building together there's also the danger we'll be spreading colds and flus in winter. And let's be honest COVID isn't gone away and if we go back to very crowded offices then we're going to have a situation somebody will arrive in with COVID and everybody in the office will be gone at home and if people get very unwell they might, might then might be able to work from at home so yeah there's lots of reasons why people want to remain working from home 0818 103 103 C103 Jobs A relief work leader slash relief aim assistant is required for Kids Comer Play School, Kids Corner Play School, my apology, there in Bwing. Email linda.brown79 at gmail.com for further details. Carpenters are wanted in all areas of the Cork region 021-233-9120. A cleaner is wanted 15 hours per week. It's for Bohabui Comprehensive School. CVs and a letter of application, please, to the Secretary, Board of Management, Bohabui Comprehensive School in Bohabui. And a full-time butcher is required for Lucy's Butchers. That's in Mallow. Email ianlucy2000 at gmail.com. And full-time general operatives are wanted for construction work in the Cork area, 022-57629. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is 
C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. A very special event will take place next Sunday at St. John the Baptist Church in Neusestown when the only ordination in the Diocese of Cork and Ross for this year will be held. To wish him well and in advance of his ordination, I'm joined by Reverend Ronan Sheehan. Uh, Good morning to you, Ronan. Good morning, Patricia. Thank you're, you for, for well, having me on. Yeah, you're very welcome. And this really is a very, very special occasion for the... the it's the parish of Morat and uh, Temple Martin, which is a huge, huge right. uh, parish. Now, how are you feeling? Is it a mixture of excitement? Is it mixed with nerves? Or more than anything, are you just looking forward to, to it? Uh, well, yeah, ultimately, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. It's been a busy few months. I got back uh, from Canada in, at the end of June. And literally since then, I was kind of just launched into the planning of it. So it's, it is very exciting. Someone asked me last Sunday, am I nervous? And I said, to be honest, I'm too busy to be nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there are, I mean, there are, there are actually some, uh, some nerves kicking in as well. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's predominantly, predominantly uh, filled with excitement and, and the goodwill of the people here in Newcastle too. And it's a very, very special day for, for the church, or is it, or, and, and maybe even the parish. Is it the first ordination ever? So it's the first, usually you see, if you go back far enough, all ordinations were in Minus, and then since then they're kind of, they might be in the cathedral, for example, in Cork City. And uh, but Bishop Vincent has very generously said, no, I want the ordination in Neusestown. And uh, so it's very, so it's the first time, the church is 150 years old, and it's the first time there's ever been an ordination there. Plenty first masses, but never an ordination. And so it's quite, I mean, it's, it's quite historic for, I suppose, for that. And uh, it's kind of, uh, there's people there, the people here, in Newcastle, are very, I suppose, you know, very excited by that fact that it's something kind of uh, historic, something new about it. And imagine extra special for you. I mean, I'm assuming, did you make your communion and confirmation in that church? I did. So I was baptised in Farney Van, St. Martin's Church, Farney Van, and I'll celebrate a Mass there on Tuesday evening. But this is where I made my, you know, first reconciliation, in my first Holy Communion, my confirmation. It's where, uh, as a school child, you know, we used to come down, march down for, for, for Mass every first Friday. And it's where I went to Mass every Sunday, you know, yeah. um, you know, growing up. So it's a place where my vocation kind of was born or took roots and grew and was supported by uh, just the you know, weekly Mass and the, 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 the people uh, who prayed with me and for me. Now, I was reading up a bit about you and you were one of those very bright students in <laughs> school and your first choice on leaving school was either to do medicine or law. But you changed your mind and you decided to study arts in Maynooth. Now, I straight away said, that's interesting. You would choose to go to Maynooth. Was entering the priesthood at the back of your mind even then, the fact that you picked Maynooth? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I've been blessed with, um, you know, pretty good uh, academic skills and they were nurtured here in Newcastle in Bishop Galvin Central School and in Hamilton High School in Bandon. And I did a, I did a pretty good leaving search, you know, but I, I worked hard for it. But I, yeah, so I had been interested in, 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 in medicine or some course like that. And, but I changed my mind in the, you know, you can change your mind in the CEO before, like, I think it was like the 1st of June all those years ago. So at that point, I, I'd actually entered seminary the same year. So I went to Maynooth uh, as, a, as a seminarian, we'll say like that. Would you describe your household as a very religious one growing up? Um, I suppose. I mean, so there was certainly, you know, weekly mass was, was part of our lives. And, you know, we had great family... 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You kind of get together the celebrations around the times of sacraments, you know, first Holy communion, the confirmation. It was big. We've come from, a, I come from a large family on both sides. Um, so it was kind of, there are always big affairs. So they were important, but... I mean, otherwise, I don't know if it's particularly so, you know. I mean, my sisters will come to Mass, you know, most, uh, you know, sometimes, not, not every week, and I've been trying to encourage them. And, you know, <laughs> like any other kind of teenager or girls in their 20s, saying, no, this is my only free morning off, you know. Um, but they're good. I mean, there's a great, there is a great kind of, uh, I think it's a great Christianity at home, uh, especially. And a great, a great goodwill and support there. Yeah, and that's that has certainly uh, stood to you. And you're the only boy with four sisters. How did I, uh, your family yeah. react? You, you must have at some stage went home and said, "Look, I have something to tell you. This is what I want to do." What was their reaction? Uh, so they they weren't surprised, to be honest with you. So I must have had some sort of you know particular religious uh, sensitivities because. Uh, they weren't surprised. They, they didn't know when I would kind of, you know, go to the seminary. But um, I did kind of maybe surprise them by saying, well, "I'm going. I'm going now after my uh, leaving cert." But uh, but it's great. I mean, there's great, there's great uh, there's great support there all the same, you know. And um, yeah, it's I, I my people often say to me, "Gosh, you're the only boy and four sisters." And I reply, "I'm from the countryside." Well, I say. Lucky I didn't have a farm to take over. <laughs> now, as you mentioned, you attended uh, Bishop uh, Galvin Central School as a child. And of course, Bishop Galvin was a native of, of the parish. Would, yeah, would, exactly. would that have influenced you in any way, do you think, looking back on well, your primary school days? Well, certainly, because, you know, the, the Columbans, the missionary uh, society co-founded, were a big presence here. We, I used to help deliver the Far East magazine was born up the road here. 
So it's actually, there's, I mean, like in, like in lots of small rural areas, I'm, I'm, there's a, a family connection through my grandmother um, uh, to him. And my grandparents met him uh, not long after they were married back in the, the early 50s. And so it's, uh, yeah, so he, he was a very uh, kind of uh, big presence. And I suppose it kind of left an impression on me as a child because I'm thinking, here's this guy from Town who went all the way to China, you know, and mm. only, could only come home every few years. And like, why did he go? And what brought him there? And what kind of, like, what was in his mind that said, I'm going to go and be a priest out there as opposed to kind of, uh, as opposed to here. Um, so it probably left an impression on me. I did think of being a missionary at one point, And, you know, the Columbans were kind of, you know, looming there. I was thinking over it and praying about it. But um, I decided that, you know, the mission in at home is, is quite um, is quite um, present there too. So that's why I decided to apply for uh, the Diocese of Cork and Ross. Yeah, can I say on behalf of the diocese, we need you here. We really need <laughs> you, you, you here. Okay, talk to me about the journey to get you to next Sunday and what did that involve? Uh, so uh, in terms of, so I, I spent uh, just the last few months, uh, I just got back. I spent, I did an internship in Canada for six months. January to June, and I'm glad to say that there's a group of about 10 uh, flying over for the ordination. And then I got back, and basically, you know, I was told, uh, you know, you need to go and organize this. And let me tell you, there's, there's a lot of organizing uh, in, in an ordination. Um, so I put together um, an ordination planning committee of some locals with, some, with great skills, great heads on them. And, you know, they've organized everything from you know, painting. I think they were they were plumbing a portaloo at the back a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, flowers, and they've been praying for good weather. And I think their prayers have been heard. And the weather forecast is is really looking good. It's looking good. So yeah, yeah. Were, compared to last, heard. compared to the last couple of weekends. Yes, and it, last Sunday was a potential date for the ordination, and I woke up Sunday morning. <laughs> And I heard the rain and I said, thank God. <laughs> and where, did you, 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 you did your initial studies then in Maynooth, was it? And then? Yeah. So I did, um, I did three years of philosophy and, uh, in Maynooth. And then uh, I did three years of theology interspersed with three kind of practical years. So I spent time uh, working in hospitals. I did four courses in Cork University Hospital and also in the Matter Hospital in Dublin. And then I did some par- parish placements. So I was in the city. I spent time in Turner's Cross and Ballin Lock and uh, just recently in Halifax, Nova Scotia in Canada. And how, Ronan, how do you feel about the future of the church? I mean, you are going to be one of uh, the very few young priests. Yeah, uh, so it's, uh, I'm I kind of I'm filled with a sense of excitement about the future, even though you know things are changing. You know how what even I'm only 27, but the parish I grew up with is changing, particularly this year. And I'm like I'll, I'll admit I'm like I'm, I'm a bit daunted as well because uh, what I grew up with, what I was familiar with, is changing. So I'm like, you know, how am I going to cope? How am I going to kind of do this? But um, you know, I, I'm filled with a kind of a sense of a sense of hope and a sense of um, you know that the the Lord is with us with in this change, and we're trying to. We're all trying to work work through this together, the bishop, priests, and people, to see you know how best can we organise ourselves so that we have a, a, a vibrant church. And do you know at this stage where you're going to be based? I, I haven't been told uh, yet. Uh, the bishop, Bishop Vincent, said he will uh, hand me that letter uh, after the ordination. So 
but it'll be somewhere it'll be somewhere in Cork yeah somewhere in in, in Cork and uh, uh, Ross so Ronan what do you think will be going through your mind next Sunday as you walk up uh, the aisle in Newcastle Church at three o'clock uh, well I I mean ideally I'd like to think you know that I'll be kind of uh, listening to the, the, the great music from the choir because they've been practicing so hard, and I hope there'll be a sense of a sense of joy and a sense of peace. Uh, part of me is thinking I'll probably be wondering, you know, gosh, are the toilets clean and uh, is the sound system working and did the trumpeter turn off? You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping at some point with all the organising to just be able to say, look, we've done our bit now, and I'm just going to uh, kind of enter into the day and, and try to enjoy it and try to just be open to the to the mystery of it. And will there be a bit of celebration afterwards? Yeah, so there's uh, my kind of a family celebration uh, after after the ordination. But then after, there's a first mass here in Newcastle as well on uh, Monday at 7pm and we'll, uh, we're going to go to the parish hall after that and there'll be some tea and sandwiches, there'll be music um, there should be a good, get, a good kind of get-together. I, I'll be giving first blessings in the church so I hope I'll be able to they keep a cup of tea for me. That that usually takes a, a couple of hours. <laughs> so and so you're 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 putting an invite to the people of the parish to come and join you on the Monday. Yeah. So uh, the the seats are allocated for the for the uh, for the church for the ordination. But we also we've we've organised a marquee with uh, speakers and uh, widescreen TV and Holy Communion will be brought out there. So everyone is is welcome to come. Yeah, to super organised marquee. You're, you're super organised, but as you say, you have to have a committee behind you to organise it. So well done to the committee as well. Indeed, listen, yeah, oh, listen it, it is group. it really is a historic occasion for everybody in the parish, but particularly uh, for New, for the church in in Newcastle Town, uh, St John the Baptist Church. Uh, we just couldn't let the moment pass without wishing you the very very best of luck and try your best as well to enjoy it because it's it's I'll, it's, I'll, it's a glorious I'll, I'll glorious do, thing that you're doing. I'll do my best. Uh, thanks very much. And the link will be up on Moran St Martin Parish Facebook page. Okay. So people can watch it online then as well. They, they can indeed. Yes. Okay. You're all welcome to come for the first masses for the marquee for the ordination. Okay. Listen. Uh, take care, Ronan, and thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. Thank you so much. Okay. Richard. God bless. Uh, bye bye. Bye bye. That is Reverend. What he is now, uh, Ronan Sheen. He will become officially Father Ronan Sheen at his ordination. Somebody was asking there about the first mass. Yeah, we mentioned that it's in Newcastle on the fir- his first mass is the following day uh, in Newcastle on Monday at uh, seven p.m. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp. Oh eight six two. 103, 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. I'm delighted to say that the 43rd Cork Folk Festival will run this year from September the 29th through to the 2nd of October. And they've got over 50 gigs and workshops taking place right across the city. But this year's headline act will be the wonderful Mary Black, who plays the Opera House on the the closing night of the Folk Festival the 2nd of October and I'm delighted to say that Mary Black takes time out to talk to us uh, today. Good afternoon. Good morning to you Mary. Good uh, morning to you too. You're, you're, very, you're very welcome to the programme and you are no stranger to the Cork Folk Festival. You have performed here uh, so many times either starting out with Day Dannon, with your own family as a solo artist. I take it you love playing Cork? I 
I always loved playing Cork and I spent many my, of my youth, youthful days down in Cork at sessions with friends and uh, it never not even doing gigs. I remember being out bowling one one time out on the roads and uh, meeting great characters and people. And it always was a place that I, I love to go to. Um, of course, the, the Cork Folk Festival has a special place, too, because I think one of my Declan and myself were only starting out as a duo. And uh, we had just released our, I think it was around the time we released our first, my first solo album, which is 1983. So that's a long time ago, <laughs> nearly 40 years. Next year, 40 years. Yeah. That. And uh, we played the Cork Folk Festival and we were in the Metropole and we were amazed because there were so many people there. They had to put extra people who wanted to get in into another room and they put set up speakers so they could hear the gig. They couldn't see us, but they could hear us. <laughs> and it was such a great, that was a real turning point for me because I was blown away by the amount of people coming to see us because I was only starting out at that stage of my career. So very special place in my heart for the for the folk festival and for Cork. And of course, you're playing the Opera House, which is just a wonderful venue. Ah, oh, the Opera House. Is, uh, we've been over and back to the Opera House like as many times as, you know, I, I, I can't even remember how many times we played there. And it's always a lovely, lovely venue and have great audiences over the years. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've said it many times before, one of the best gigs I think I ever saw at the Opera House was was one of your solo concerts. It was it was just really amazing. You're fantastic to see live. I would suggest to anyone, really? if you haven't seen Mary live, get get to see her. Um, terrific, I imagine, Mary, to be back on the road and back gig again oh yes yeah very very uh i was I, I was surprised how much i missed it and i only really realized that when i got back out doing it um it was amazing to just feel i don't know it's live that whole live music thing and that having that long break uh with the covid etc etc which we won't don't want to talk about um was was really kind of uh uh, just magical for me and for the audiences. I felt it from them too, that people were, were starved for live music. Of course, all this year, there's loads of live music now. <laughs> yeah, I guess the thing was, it was October last year, you finally got back out and you've, you've been busy. That's right. You've been busy for, yeah. you've been busy doing gigs. And did I always, you've been doing some television work as well. Oh, there was some good shows that we did. Um, yeah, The Heart of Saturday Night was one of them with Philip King on, at the at the helm. And um, we did, I mean, we've done a good few things. Um, I suppose, that, you know, this was, it, it's like when there's a famine, then there's, everybody is, has, is having feasts, you know. And that's what the music scene is at the moment. It's a feast of music everywhere. And, and that goes into the television as well. But... Um, yeah, no, I don't. I haven't been working flat out. I mean, I'm lucky enough that I don't have to. I, I, I've kind of given up my traveling abroad uh, for the most part uh, with with gigging and that. And so I, I said my goodbyes in Australia and America and, and uh, Japan and parts of Europe. And I, I do very little now abroad, you know. And do you, so, do you, miss, um, do you not miss that side of it? I don't miss the traveling and I, yeah. and I because I'm still gigging here in Ireland and I do the odd thing away and I might do a festival and stuff like that. It's, it's enough for me. I have wound down quite a bit and it be, makes each uh, gig more precious to me because I know, you know, I'm coming to that stage in my life where it's going to be less and less. And, and so every every concert is kind of is kind of special, you yeah, know, and that's, that's why yeah. I think I'm enjoying it as much, you know. Do you still sing uh, with the family? Not much. Now, the way, if we got together for a family kind of gathering, the, the music will always be there and it always was and it, it'll continue to be like that. I mean, you know, it's passing on to the next generation now and we have sessions with, with the, the younger ones. Francis kids are all musicians. Mine are for the most part. And, um, you know, even the young, the grandkids are 
getting their party pieces <laughs> singing. So like there's always music. Like if there's a gathering for a birthday or Christmas or something and we're all there, inevitably there'll be a one or two sessions. Well, music sessions. Somebody yeah. will burst forth into But song. it doesn't happen as often as I'd like because no. Two of my brothers live in America, so to get them together yeah. over here at the same time, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult. But, you know, you know, we, there'll always be a bit of a sing song somewhere down in Kerry or somewhere like that, you know. Yeah, well, there's a black around and another black appears. There'll always be a bit of a bit of a song. Actually, you see, Frances was in the opera. I think it was only last weekend. Wasn't she there? She with, was there. Yeah, yeah, with Sharon Shannon and, and Mary Coughlin. Because that's the women's heart. That's you're, you're talking about your album being 40 years. That's it's I'm sure it's somewhere that's over 30 years now, the woman's heart. Yes, it is 30 years because I think it was 1992 when the woman's heart album was released. And it was just it was just let out as, a, as, a, as an interesting compilation. Nobody thought anything of it really at the time. And then it just by that Christmas, it was flying out and it was the number one album for Christmas. And, you know, I remember the record label saying that they were ringing, you know, Universal were saying uh, in America, why is uh, uh, what's her name? Whitney Houston, number one all around the world. And not in Ireland, you know, because <laughs> we were number one in Ireland with the woman's heart. And uh, I was great, great for all the girls involved. Yeah, it you was know, brilliant. Great strength and, and women and music. Yeah, you know? and it's an album that has stood the test of time. It's it's as good today as it was thirty years ago when it when it first came out. It's fantastic. And it's that well, one... I think the young people embrace it too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's funny how the next generations remember it as growing up with it, and now they're coming to the concerts as well. You know. Okay, listen, so many people I can see by text looking forward uh, to the gig. It's at the start of October. And I'm imagining all the big hits, uh, Mary, that's what we can expect on the night. Absolutely. I'd be lynched if I didn't do all my big songs. And But I mean, I, I always try to bring in something different and pick out something that I haven't done in a long time. There's so many songs and uh, an hour and a half on stage or whatever it is, it's, it's like not long enough to cover everything. But I, I do try to keep everybody happy. And I love when people join in and sing along. It, to me, it's a wonderful thing. It's what we do at home when we were, when we grew up and everyone joins in choruses. And that's exactly the way I am as well, you know, when I go to my concerts, you know. So feel free to sing along. Listen, Mary, Absolutely. Pl- pleasure as always uh, to talk to you. Tickets are available yeah. at the Cork Folk Festival dot com. Uh, Mary Black, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Uh, Good. All the best. Bye Thanks bye, bye bye. Good morning to you, the wonderful Mary Black. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Court Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, some of your calls and comments coming in. It is Wednesday, by the way. So Peter Dowdell joins us later on in this hour. If you have a gardening question, you can get working on those. Uh, John Paul's taking the calls. 0818103103. Texts and WhatsApps are also available at 0862103103. School buses. And the fact that we've been hearing of some students who've been removed from the school bus because they had concessionary tickets in the past, don't have a concessionary ticket this year. The inspector gets on and checks. And if you're not on the list, you've got to get off the bus. And uh, we've had a couple of comments in about school buses because it's there's there literally isn't a public representative who hasn't been contacted many, many times. I'm not, not I'm not just talking about one or two families coming forward. They're running into the hundreds in some areas of families really discommoded because they can't get their son or daughter onto the school bus. Joe in Kilmallock says we have a great local link bus in Kilmallock. It goes to Effin and Charleville and other places. Could local link buses not be used 
for school transportation as they are a fantastic service as it is. Yeah, the, the local links are brilliant. They're just, they really are amazing, particularly in areas that isn't serviced by a public bus and they do great. And for people who don't have cars, it gets them from A to B and it gets people out socialising and they're fantastic. I'm forever singing the praises of the local bus link. And Joe, you're right, that is a really, really good suggestion. But it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. They came up with this idea of wavering the school bus fees suddenly extra numbers of people decided that they wanted to put their children onto the school bus and there was no joined up thinking. I mean, that's exactly the kind of thing that should be looked at. Take a look at the local link. I'm not saying that all be available, but surely some of them would be available and would be able to take some children to school. So, yeah, terrific suggestion, uh, Joe. And then remember, we had Michael from Skibbereen. He was pondering when he was hearing us talking about children who'd been taken off the school bus and was wondering who is responsible if you take a child off the school bus and you leave him on the side of the road and God forbid if something happens who's, who's responsible the parent in good faith dropped the child off uh, to the school to the bus stop and, and you know who's responsible if there isn't a parent around and I was making the point that surely it's only secondary school students and hopefully they'd have the sense when it comes to you know phoning home or being able to navigate getting across a busy road for example but I thought it was a good point that was raised by Michael who would be responsible if something went wrong Eddie said now this is from a few years back he said that they had problems with their local school bus but they were always told that if a child is put on the bus in the morning they must be brought back to the same spot in the evening Eddie said that's what we were told at the time if anything happens to the child that's taken off the bus Eddie remembers hearing the responsibility would lie with a bus errand. But I suppose they would say that they have only responsibility for those that have tickets for the bus. But Eddie says once the child gets on, onto the school bus, gets into, the, into school, then they must be returned to the same spot. But of course, that wouldn't help what happened in Kildallery yesterday because they were taken off the school bus before going to school so that would that would certainly wouldn't cover that one thank you for that Eddie hi Patricia the solution for all the school bus transport blended education or an electric bike you could you can make great time on an electric bike and you get fresh air and exercise at the same same time some parents would be really afraid of letting their children out cycling to school with roads being so busy in a different era that's what did happen people did cycle to school and people walked to school more but there's very few cycling and walking to school uh, t- uh, today thank you for your uh, call hi uh, Patricia oh, what would you think of this now this was something that happened I don't know how many years ago a school bus inspector taking a four-year-old off the bus at a major junction and leaving them to cross the main road about 100 yards from the school her cousin of 11 had the sense to get off with her because she was only a four-year-old now it's a long time ago but the man didn't care what happened to the child what had happened in the incident was the child didn't have had the ticket was paid for but the child couldn't find the ticket and you can imagine inspector coming on show me your ticket and a little four-year-old with the school bag obviously just started school didn't know where the school the, the bus ticket was and I'm hoping that as situation like that would never happen uh, today but bearing in mind that the students that are after are been asked to get off the school buses are the students that don't have any ticket it isn't a case of you haven't paid because obviously that's all computerised now so they can see exactly who has paid and who hasn't so I don't think I, I'm assuming you don't physically have to have a ticket in your hand anymore but maybe I'm wrong 0818 103 103 
And Jim wants to raise an issue about Queen Elizabeth lying in state. Jim says, Patricia, I'm a bit concerned about the people filing by to pay their respects to Queen Elizabeth lying in state because all they see is a flag draped over a coffin. They will never be able to say, we got to see the Queen's coffin. I would much rather to see her coffin, not the flag. And another thing, what will happen to her clothes? Will they be given to charity, says Jim? God, I'd have to go into Buckingham Palace. I don't know what they're going to do with her. And she would have a a huge, huge wardrobe of clothes. I don't know. I don't know what's happened when previous members of the monarch died. What happened to their clothes? I'm I'm probably, yeah, maybe they, some of them would go to charity shops. Would they be sold on to raise money for charity? I remember the wonderful Princess Diana a number of years ago when she got divorced and stepped out of public life as a member of the royal family. She had all these wonderful ball dresses, evening dresses that she knew she was never going to be, never would need them again. And she had too many of them. And she held a huge auction. It went on. It went on in New York, didn't it? And they, they just couldn't believe the interest in these gorgeous, exquisite uh, dresses. And she raised a lot of money and the money at that time was used for uh, charity. So maybe there'd be a charity event like that. Uh, and maybe some will go to charity shops. I, I don't know. But on the filing past the uh, coffin, you, you're right, it is only the flag. I don't know if we're ever, uh, well, will you actually get to see the coffin it, itself? And of course, it, she's back in, she's back in London now, isn't she, for the final few days before the funeral on Monday? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know funerals are very different in England to what they are over here. I mean, over here. We would have open coffins that would be almost unheard of uh, in England. I don't know. Are people objecting to would they prefer to see the coffin rather than to see a flag draped over a coffin? It's certainly not putting people off going. I mean, there is tens of thousands of people queuing. There was a woman yesterday I saw on one of the one of the social medias who she went, she filed past seven times. She would go past the coffin, come back out and join the queue and go back again. It can take hours. It literally can take hours because the queues are so long. 0818 and I suppose the, the, the high regard the woman was held in by her subjects for sure, the amount that are turning out to pay their respects. Now, can I go back to electricity bills for a moment, uh, please? Some commentary in on this. Michael Indramahan was on. His latest electricity bill is uh, is in. Now, this I'm assuming is for a premises, Michael, that you don't use that often because he actually only used 47 units was actually used for on this. And this would have been a two month bill. So the total usage for the 47 units was 13 euro and 21 cent. But that's not where his bill ended. Standing charge for 11 days, 9 euro 45. Standing charge for 37 days, 35 euro and 38 uh, cents because they've gone into the next month. PSO levy, 8 euro 60 for July and August. Fat, 5 euro 93. The bill came to a whopping 71 euro and 84 cent. Uh, but Michael says, how can something go from 13 euro to 71 cent? It is madness. So he said 58 euro and 63 cent was outside of what he used. If he was only been charged for what he's used, his bill would only be 13 euro and 21 cent. It is so hard for people to save on units if that is the real cost. Yeah, because we've been hearing and we were talking yesterday about trying to cut down on your usage. You can cut down all you like. But when you have standing charges and PSO uh, levies and VAT and the, the price just goes up and up and up. And Sylvester on the PSO levy, which is gone, isn't it? 
Isn't it been taken away from the 1st of October? Says Patricia, I have a question for your listeners. Does anybody know what is going on with the cost of electricity from renewable energy sources? There's a lot of talk about this at the moment, Sylvester. Anyone who pays their electricity bill also pays a PSO levy. So each of us help to put up all of those windmills to produce the energy. Only what, what, only what do we get in cont- in return only higher and higher electricity bills 30% of electricity in Ireland comes from wind energy why do electric companies raise their prices so much again all of us who contribute to all of the ideas of the government are getting nothing in return it is sick we need to wake up our politicians lying to us said Sylvester well I don't know about the 30% of electricity is generated through wind because that could be 20% from renewables I don't think it's a, maybe it is a size 30 but the, the last report I read was 80% of electricity is generated through gas that's why we need to keep an eye on gas prices so that would mean 20% is coming from uh, renewables but um, yeah but there's been a huge focus on the companies that are generating electricity through renewables because their their costs haven't gone up yet they're putting their costs up to the consumer and I know Ursula van der Leyen was raging the other day when she was heard her talking about it and she really was targeting those companies saying enough is enough that's price gorging and it has to stop and then I've had an email in from I don't know whether this listener wants the name called out or not but let me read it, it says Dear Patricia I write to you to bring to your attention what I feel is a mean, mean or perhaps even immoral practice employed by several electricity suppliers The following is a quote from switcher.ie website and it clearly states the position. Is prepaid electricity, this is where people have a meter and they put the money in and they get their electricity that way. Is prepaid electricity more expensive than billed electricity? And switcher.ie, we spoke with Owen Clark, um, was it last week on the programme? It's one of those sites where you can find out what's the cheapest rate for you uh, to be on and which company should you actually go with. So on switcher.ie it says yes. Pay-as-you-go electricity is usually more expensive than a standard build electricity, but there are some benefits to it and they could outweigh the cost difference. For example, said Switcher, you have more direct control of your electricity costs, you have no electricity bills or no estimated bills, you've got easy, hassle-free top-up service and, of course, you have no disconnection or reconnection worries. Well, you can self-disconnect, I suppose. Anyway, back to its Reddy's email. This must be the only instance where commercial entities employ such measures. In normal business relationships, a prepayment will usually attract a discount or some other benefit as acknowledgement of the benefit to the supplier of having the use of the customer's money before they supply. This should apply equally in the supply of electricity and it is likely the prepayment is received a substantial period before the supplier has to pay for the energy used. The prepaid system is, in theory, attractive to people on fixed weekly incomes but it's also used by pensioners to get away from dealing with bills and by landlords wishing to enable continuity of supply while avoiding financial risk for themselves. The latter is particularly relevant for tenants availing of HAP. I suggest that the regulator and the government should, as a matter of urgency and in the interest of social equity, require energy suppliers 
to charge their minimum unit charge for prepaid accounts. A finer point, the ordinary two monthly bill payer is also afforded credit of anything up to two months and they're charged at a preferential rate as against the prepaid customer. I urge you to take up this issue uh, for your most deserving neighbours and friends. Best wishes and that is uh, from Ready. And countless times on the programme when we've spoken about prepaid electricity, I've mentioned that it usually is one of the higher tariffs and you do pay more than what you would pay if your bill comes in every two months. But as switcher.ie and as Ready points out in his uh, email, there are benefits and people prefer, even if they know they're paying a little bit more for the electricity every every day, they prefer to top it up. They don't want this big bill coming in uh, every two months and particularly the way electricity is rising at the moment. The only thing I can say uh, when you say that the regulator, this is the Commission for Regulation for Utilities, the one thing that the Commission has done is all customers who have what's called a financial hardship meter, all of them must be placed on the cheapest tariff available from their supplier. And that is coming in from the 1st of December of this year. So the Commission for Regulation of Utilities is moving on this one, but it's only for customers who have a financial hardship meter. And how do you get a financial hardship meter? They are for people who were in difficulty in the past, maybe had their electricity cut off in the past, have been in arrears with companies and they're trying to pay back the uh, arrears so they get what's called a financial hardship uh, meter. But from the 1st of December next, so there is a bit of movement on this, they will have to be placed on the uh, cheapest tariff available. So I take it ready, you would be pleased to hear that. 0818 103 103, your lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. The Mallow Active Retirement Group are holding a coffee day. It's on as we speak. It's a native Marymount hospice. It's on until three o'clock this afternoon. If you're passing by the Arches Function Room in Mallow, your support would be much appreciated. Bantry Blues Healthy Club are inviting everyone in the community of all ages and abilities to join them in their new Walk and Talk initiative. It starts tonight, half past seven, and they leave from Wolf Tone Park for a leisurely walk with a different route every week, and they're going to do it for six weeks. There'll be a great opportunity to meet others, and then they'll finish up with a cuppa and a chat in the clubhouse. Everyone is welcome. You simply just turn up tonight or any of the other nights for the next six weeks at half past uh, seven. Network Ireland West Cork branch. They'll hold an event called Be Smart With Your Money. It's tomorrow night in AIB in Bandon starting at 7pm. The event is free for members and a charge of €15 for non-members. And you can drop off used clothing, etc. at Gagan Hall tomorrow, Thursday, between 7 and 8 Men's, women's and children's clothing, bags, belts and shoes, all accepted along with sheets, duvet covers, towels, curtains and good quality soft uh, toys. And yoga classes are starting in Shambhali Moore Community Centre tomorrow morning at 10am. If you'd like to book a slot, 022 404 Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. MIG.ie. Item on the paper this morning uh, kind of made me smile but really caught my eye. It's a service station in Limerick. They're selling bags of, in inverted commas, decorative hardened Irish mud, i.e. they're turf logs. Magnolty's Fuels says its Irish mud is advertised for ornamental use only. It's not to be burnt in the fire. 
Green Party will be will be pleased. Uh, the service station's owner is Eric uh, McNulty, who joins me this afternoon. Uh, good afternoon to you, Eric. Hello, Patricia. Now, I know your sign is a bit tongue-in-cheek, but really what you're highlighting here, isn't it, the struggles facing a business like yours? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the sign is definitely tongue-in-cheek. It's it's just a bit of crack. It's just a bit of fun. And it's really after blowing up, I, I wasn't expecting this to get as much publicity as it did. But it is highlighting a serious issue, really. Um, I, I, I said it in one of the interviews already today that I... Um, Everything I'm selling in my business, I own a, a petrol station and fuel store, and and the current government seem to be trying to outlaw and ban everything that I'm selling, whether it's turf, coal, briquettes, um, timber, petrol and diesel. You know, they're 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 pushing electric cars on people as well, and and I think that's maybe part of the reason why this has got so much traction online and with the media, is because it's hitting a nerve with people. I think they they're worried, you know, with with electricity blackouts being being, you know, uh, looking into the into a long winter and um, fuel supplies and fuel bans and it's it's all adding up to you know to be a hard winter for people and people are worried. So I think that's why my signs have kind of resonated with people. And certainly to capture the, the imagination of the public uh, for sure because we are constantly hearing from people saying you know if the if the lights go out my those that have central heating well then my boiler doesn't work I'm going to have to rely on the open fire and and then there are so many other homes who solely heat their houses through an open fire. Absolutely yeah like where the town I'm in is hospital it's on the main Limerick to Mitchellstown Road but we'd be quite a rural area um, and it's it's you know it's all open fires and stoves. It's it's how people live here. And I don't know are the the current government's aware of that. You know I think I think they're looking at what's going on in the big cities and new builds and all this kind of stuff. And they're not thinking of the people who who are still reliant on on the the, the, the fossil fuels and solid fuels to to heat their home. And I know from personal experience. You know we've had a couple of blackouts from storms in in the, the past and one thing you can always rely on is is your fire to yeah. heat the house you know it's you can be self-sufficient in that sense um and i don't know are they are they looking into that when they're making when they're making these these laws but i i, I can see where they're coming from i know we all have to change our actions and we we have to progress and we have to you know uh, get in line with with climate change policies but i have a funny feeling they're 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 putting the, the cart before the horse and they're they're kind of jumping the gun a little bit. Um, they're not giving us alternatives, you know. They're, yeah, they're, and there has to be affordable alternatives. Absolutely, yeah. And, and what's happening now because of supply and demand, the, the price has gone up um, with coal, particularly it's one of my biggest sellers here. Um, what I was selling last year, this time last year, for €20 Euros a bag, it's now €38. Euros. And, and I know some of my competitors are selling the same code for 45 to 50 euros and, and that's just the way it's gone. But the reason for that is because because of these bans are coming in, the, the big importers haven't brought in that much coal this year and 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 the price has just gone through the roof. People still want the product, but it's it's more than doubled in price. And you mentioned that you sell uh, briquettes. I mean, at one stage we were producing our own briquettes here yeah. in, in Ireland. We're, we're now importing briquettes, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's it's crazy. It's it's nearly laughable to be honest, because it was a, a viable industry that we had 
And I remember watching Nationwide a couple of years ago when they were closing down the people gets and to see the amount of people that were employed in the Midlands in this industry. Um, and they've closed us, you know, they've they've completely stopped it now and now we're we're importing peat briquettes from Germany, Latvia, Estonia. And to be honest about it, the quality of them briquettes isn't as good as what what we had from Bordemona. Are they not? Um, That's interesting. No, no, I, I, I definitely find that from, from the customers. Um I have a palette of of one type that we're importing in and I've had it for a year and a half now. I, I find it very, very hard to, to sell because the quality isn't isn't as good as, as what the Irish beat was. Yeah, and if it doesn't throw out the heat or doesn't last as long, people won't won't come back and, and no, buy it. And and of course, when you talk about the people gets, uh, we know only too well, uh, we lost our sugar factory a number of years ago. And then in hindsight, they look back and said, oh, we were wrong to do that and we have to import all of our sugar. But yeah. you're just thinking the carbon footprint of having to import bales of briquettes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely crazy. Like, like really counterproductive, you know, when the reason they're they're banning it is is to help climate change. And then, you know, they're importing it, which which is adding to the carbon footprint of it. It, it doesn't make any sense. Um, the other the other thing is, you know, as, as, I, as I said, they're taking away people's self-sufficiency as well. Um, you know, turf is a generational thing here in Ireland. It's a cultural thing. It's my my dad is from Mayo in 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 Connacht and they're they're huge into their bogs and turf up there. You know they they didn't burn anything else growing up, um, and and even in rural Limerick we you know we do sell an awful lot of it. But it, turf and timber you know can be got easily, and it's it's a thing that we can get ourselves from the, from the land and and use ourselves and kind of you know, be self-sufficient with and, and they're, they're taking that away from us as well which, which doesn't sit easy with, with people. Yeah, because is it, is it the 1st of October, the rule? When, when does it come in that you... you the 31st of October. 31st of October. Yeah. A, a, an outlet like yours will not be able to sell turf. I can buy turf from my neighbour but you can't sell it. No, no. Or, or I won't be able to sell coal from then on either. So the, the the coal ban is coming in, so it's going to be smokeless from from then on as well. So so yeah, so um, turf, uh, wet wood, what they're calling wet wood as well. The the moisture content of wood has to be below a certain level too for us to be able to sell it. Um, the briquettes, the Irish briquettes, are pretty much gone anyway, and and they're getting rid of coal. So we'll we'll be able to sell smokeless, uh, gas and and kiln dried timber. What about the imported briquettes? Will you be allowed to sell those? Yeah, as far as I know, as far as I know, I'm not. Except sure, people don't want them, says you. No, they, exactly. You're dead right. They're they're not very popular. Um, they've they've made alternatives in Ireland. I know they've there's a, there's a couple of plants um, on the Limerick Cork border in in Ballylanders. They're making um, what we call timber briquettes. They're made from recycled sawdust from um, a sawmill. Um, and they're they're an alternative to briquettes. They're actually quite popular as well. Are they? Are they? Well yeah. done. Well, well done. Just on the smokeless coal, uh, by the way, um, yeah. and, and and I don't know, but I just know from listeners contacting us, um, Eric, do they not give off the same amount of heat as the smoking coal does? They, they're, they're, it's like everything. There's there's plenty of different brands and there's plenty of different types and there's nuggets and there's ovites and all this kind of thing, but. General rule of thumb: They don't burn as hot as as your premium smoky coal. Yeah, but they do burn for longer. 
they will they will glow in your fire. They're 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 made for stoves, to be honest. And and if you have a stove, they are a good alternative. Um, if you have an open fire, they can be problematic. Uh, you 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 a lot of a lot of their heat can be lost up the chimney. But uh, general rule of thumb, they don't burn as hot, but they do burn a bit longer. Okay. But they're but the price the price with them has gone crazy as well because a lot of these are, are being made from recycled coal dust. Um, and they're obviously a lot of them are being imported as well. So you know it's not a cheaper option. Smokeless definitely isn't a cheaper option at the moment. How much is a bag of smokeless coal? It's the same with me at the moment as as, as my premium coal. It's thirty eight euros. Now whether that will change, um, it's unprecedented at the moment. The the demand for coal because people know they're they stocking stock up. up. Yeah, they're Absolutely. stocking up. Yeah, that yeah. That's... So whether whether that'll even out in in a couple of months or not, I don't know. But um. It's, it is the same price. Now, yeah. And you, Eric, your background is interesting in that you worked in the UK and you, you your qualifications are in renewable energy. They are, they are, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a paradox really, I, I suppose, but it, it was needs must. I, um, I, worked, I worked for Scottish government for a few years in renewable energy planning. Um, and when I moved home here maybe nine years ago, there just was no work in, in that in that line. Um and I, I was going immigrating again until this petrol station came up. Um and I, I it, it's in the town where I'm from and I have a, a history of, of retail working. So I I said I'd go for it. But uh, I definitely went full circle from the renewable energy to selling fossil fuels, but it was just the fact of the matter was that's that's where there was a living. There was no living in, in in working in renewable energy, there was no jobs in it. Needs, um, need, need, been, needs must. And you sound like must, somebody yeah. who's, you're enjoying it. Oh, well, yeah, well, I, I do enjoy it. Yeah, I love it. I I, I come from a family who, who um, has always owned shops and and businesses in the locality. Um, and I grew up behind the counter. So I I definitely do enjoy that side of things. Um, I I always wanted to have my own business and I have that whether it's a good thing or a bad thing now I don't know but I'm eight years into it and yeah I do I enjoy it I enjoy meeting the people and um, it's it's a nice living Will you be able to keep going? Look I I, I think I will it's it's a, it's a business you know that's, that, that will be able to adapt I'm listening to a lot of my my friends and businesses around the area and you know they're on about the electricity bills and the hike and them. Now I'm lucky; my my outputs are small enough with electricity. But you know there's some cafes, pubs, butchers, shops in 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 my own village here, and like they really are going to be under pressure this year because of, of the the rise in electricity costs. And um, my biggest worries are, I suppose, the the fact that they're they're pushing the electric car so much. That's a big one for me because I, I petrol pumps are my are my main income, but in rural Ireland, we've seen it now. They've been pushing these for five years, and it's it's just not feasible yet. You know, yeah, the but you, and, and, the, it's, and the cost of them. I mean, you yeah. know, what I mean, it isn't as easy as to say I'll just go off and buy an electric car. They, no, they we're, are we're really expensive. Stories, yeah, yeah people, really expensive. And actually, a taxi when driver in Limerick recently, and um, he went to get his service after was it three years of of driving his electric car, and he was told he'd need a new battery for it and the battery was going to nearly cost as much as the car cost in day one mm. and that problem yeah. still hasn't been solved with with no. the batteries and when you talk of small businesses I, I mentioned I, do, I spotted it on one of on, on one of my social feeds uh, during the during the news at 12 uh, a woman up in 
County Roscommon supermarket owner and she got her electricity bill, a one month electricity bill and she said back in January her electricity bill 6,600 euro was what she used to pay and that's kind of her average electricity bill. Her electricity bill has gone to over just over 20, almost 21,000 euro. You know, she said she burst into tears. I mean, you, no yeah. business can sustain that. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Because that has to come from somewhere. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, we're, we're all after putting down a couple of tough years with COVID where everyone's business was down. Um, now we're getting into normality, back into normality and you know the the prices are going up crazy and 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 we're we're getting hit then by the public you know you, you obviously a couple of months ago it was widespread the news about the petrol and diesel prices going so going so crazy and you know we were getting it in the neck every day of the week that that the prices were going up um so so people are becoming very very conscious and 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 maybe they're not spending as much in the shops and, and as they were so it's very yeah. hard to make up that that difference. You yeah, know? impossible, impossible. Uh, yeah. Listen, a lot of people say to, saying well done uh, to you and can I wish you the, uh, the best of luck with your decorative hardened Thank Irish mud. You have a great uh, sense of humour and very creative, I have to say. Listen, Thank Eric, you. a real pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for that. Thanks and for joining too. us. Thanks for having me on. Good, good morning to you. Bye-bye. That's uh, Eric McNulty who runs a service station in hospital in County Limerick. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls text WhatsApp 0862 103 103 we're going to take a break and we will be back, back getting your gardening questions answered with Peter Dowdle Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie this is the Court today replay on C103 Turn our attention to gardening and Peter Dowdle, the Irish Gardener.com, uh, joining me. Good afternoon, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? I'm very well. And we spotted on Twitter earlier a gorgeous photograph of uh, the caretaker in Skull Breed in Eglantine uh, near Black Rock who was measuring the tallest sunflower, 248.5 centimetres, which was nearly a half a metre taller than last year's sunflowers. And they tagged you because they said you gave them the seeds. That's funny. I did. I did give them the seeds for that. It was part of the, we spoke about it earlier. If you remember the, the Irish sunflowers for Ukraine. We talked about it earlier in the year. So yeah, Eglantine, the school in Eglantine, where I hadn't seen that picture now, but yeah, we, I gave them a few packets of seeds as well. Yeah, so I'm delighted to see they're, they're doing so well. Isn't, aren't sunflowers the most amazing flowers? They really are. I was admiring mine yesterday, actually. And uh, the fir- my first few, I have to admit it, my first few seedlings and seeds were actually uh, digging up by the birds, dug up by the birds, so they didn't come to anything. So the, the the my sunflowers are only flowering now, but they're just a joy to behold at the moment. They really are. And actually, the one thing I noticed with all the coverage that's on for Queen Elizabeth's, uh, the mourning period for Queen Elizabeth and the amount of people leaving uh, flowers, the amount of people leaving bunches of sunflowers is just incredible over in the UK. Yeah, and apparently, uh, it, well, it, I don't know how true it is, but I think it's true that it said that her favourite flower was um, Lily of the Valley. And I wrote a piece about that for next weekend's Examiner. And she was a, she was a lady who, and her, you know, she seems to have had a deep appreciation and an innate understanding of the importance of the natural world and the garden. And, uh, and I think... You know, she's left many legacies, but I think perhaps her, her greatest is to have passed on that understanding of the importance of, of the green environment, if you want to call it that, to her children. I mean, you now have the most outspoken 
uh, person on climate change and the desecration of the natural world and he's now King of England. So, I mean, that's it. That's some legacy to leave. Yeah, it is. And actually, I heard a vicar say he had spent Sunday lunch with her the Sunday before she died because he was saying she was in such great form. And after they'd had lunch, they stood looking out at the garden. She was up in, in Balmoral, obviously. And uh, she was talking about what was in her garden, what she planted in her garden, you know, and she had a love of gardening as well, which is which is lovely. She did, and and as does her son, and yeah. now the king. I, I'm sure I told you before when I was bragging that he invited me over to, to look at his own garden in the UK, and I visited several years ago now. And the garden, uh, King Charles's garden, it's a, it's a high, in Highgrove. It's just lovely because it's it's kind of like any family garden, Trish, obviously with the, the royal budget behind it, but it's not like a palace garden, if you know what I mean. It's like a garden that has evolved over the years, and it's, it's a bit wild and a bit unkempt because, of course, he doesn't use any weed killers, and it's totally organic but you can see the old tree houses where the kids used to play when they were kids and it's really a lovely lovely place and they do she did and he does seem to understand how important these spaces are okay so you can now say you visited the garden of the king okay <laughs> yeah. straight into questions Denison Artfield wants to know can begonia flowers be grown from their leaves uh, begonia rex which is an indoor plant well in this part of the world it's indoor begonia rex can be grown from leaf cuttings the tuberous begonias that we grow outside I'm going to say no I don't think so now somebody could stand to correct me if they've tried it but I don't think the outdoor tuberous ones can what your indoor begonias begonia rex varieties can certainly be grown from leaf cuttings yeah Okay, a listener says, Hi, I recently moved a 10-year-old Acer from a flower bed and placed it in a large pot. The pot has good drainage. I put in good compost. I ensured it was well watered. Within a couple of days, the leaves started curling and have now nearly all fallen off. Is there any possibility of being able that it will survive? I'm going to say there's a possibility, but I'm afraid I'm I'm not confident because when they say they recently moved it from a gar- from a, a bed into a pot, you know, recently, like for the last couple of months, we've had a very dry, warm period, which is I'm I'm afraid to say is the worst time possible to move anything out of the garden because uh, the plants that are growing in the soil they they get their moisture from the soil and the nutrients from the soil Trish, through their root hairs, and they're at the very extremities of the root system. They're microscopic. They're that tiny. We don't see them. So obviously when you take something out of the soil, you're going to, to sever and damage a lot of the, the root extremities. And so then the, the, the plant's ability to get water is, is lessened, if not eliminated completely. Um, and that during the hot period, the hot dry period, it needed every bit of water it could get. So unfortunately you've damaged the plant. Uh, whether it's going to come back or not, I can't say for sure. Nature is wonderful. It may repair itself, but just pour water on it for now. Keep pouring water on it for now. Okay, Tim has grown tomatoes this year for the first time. He can't get over the amount of tomatoes that he has, but a lot of them are still green. Does he leave them on the vine or can he take them indoors so that they'll redden off, ripen? Well, you know the trick there, don't you, Trish? Yeah, to put it in, into the black, the, the brown bag with uh, a banana. Yeah, ripe banana because like yeah. uh, a lot of mine are still on the vine outside and they're still green. Some of them are, are reddening up, now, the, the last of them, and there's nothing like your own home, homegrown tomatoes. But... Uh, yeah, I would say at this time of the year now, middle of September, take them off the vine into it and maybe just take a clump or two at a time so they don't all ripen at exactly the same time. But into, into a yeah into a brown paper bag with a ripe banana 
uh, and they'll ripen up in, in a and few do, short yeah, days. Yeah, 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 and it's also a good trick to use for avocados. You know, when you buy, I can never get a ripe avocado when I want it. I put it into a brown paper bag with the banana and it, and it works. Actually, I saw a piece online. Does it work if you put an apple in as well or is it just bananas? I always thought it was just bananas. I think it's just bananas, but I can't say with any yeah. degree of certainty. I would, I would think just bananas because uh, I would say if, if, if you put in a ripe or overripe apple, I would think that uh, the the rot it would start rotting. So yeah, yeah, um, it doesn't. I, I'm I'm not sh- I'm not certain on that. I've only ever heard it done with bananas. Okay, uh, this is I don't even this can can mallow shrub and the rose of Sharon be cut back now. The Rose of Sharon, yes, the Hypericum, absolutely, you can cut that back now. The Mallow, the Lavatera, I probably, you could trim it back now, I wouldn't cut it too hard. Mallow or, or Lavatera, as it's kind of correctly known, is um, can be a short-lived, it's technically really a sub-shrub, which is kind of a mixture between a perennial and a shrub, but they do tend to be short-lived. But if you cut them back hard now, dare I say it, as we're coming into the winter, we don't want to leave go of summer, but, but uh, coming into the winter, whether we like it or not. So cutting it back now, uh, might damage it if we get a harsh winter. So I trim it by all means to tidy it up, but I wouldn't cut it back hard or anything like hard until we're out the other end of the winter and coming into the spring. Okay, Louise was on to us. She has a lilac tree. It was a cutting from her granny's garden and I love the idea of that. Anyway, the, the tree is fine and healthy, except all the flowers are very high up. It was planted around eight years ago. What can she do to get flowers more lower down next year? It is lovely. I love that as well. That kind of continuity of a plant and a reminder every time. But unfortunately, when this happens, there's very little you can do, really, I'm afraid, because you can prune lilac back. to, And with a lot of plants, I'd say if you cut them back, it'll encourage growth low down and, and flowers. But the thing is, with lilac, it will respond well to pruning. You won't harm it by pruning it to bring it down. But what you what what I find with lilac is the more you prune it, the more leafy growth you get. Not the more flowers, but the more leafy growth you get. So I think if you cut it back to bring the flowers down, it might be counterproductive. You might just end up with more green and less flowers, high or low. So I kind of leave it well alone. Maybe maybe give it a shot of of sulfate of potash or tomato food at this time of the year now before we go into into the winter. And that might promote more flowers on it for next year. And hopefully some of them will be lower down, but I wouldn't be pruning it anyway. Okay, and Mary Mallow wants to plant rhubarb in her garden next year. She has a west facing wall. Would that be a good place to plant? Perfect. Yeah, be absolutely perfect. They do like a good degree of sunlight. Um, And the important thing with rhubarb is give them a very rich, you know, nutrient rich soil. So uh, mix in some seaweed or or well-rotted farmyard manure, uh, anything like that, even your own homemade compost, just a good nutrient-rich soil is what they will love. Okay, and somebody has discovered that a part of their garden got waterlogged during the very wet weather. Uh, any advice, please? No, I don't. I'm afraid it's a short answer. I mean, failing, you know, failing getting getting uh, landscapers in to improve the drainage or doing it yourself, digging drains and soakaways, uh, and the reason I hesitate saying that is because you won't often, you won't always beat nature. It depends on why it was being waterlogged. So if it's that the, the soil is just compacted, you can you can try and break that up by, by digging the soil and putting in good drainage underneath. However, if it's just because of a rising water table, you know, you, you won't that one, you won't beat nature. So if it's because of the high water table uh, and it's going to be prone to waterlogging as we get this more extreme monsoon-like rain, and then I would look for that area at planting, using plants that like those conditions. 
Uh, and there are many. I mean, hydrangeas like damp soil, formiums, if you want trees, you're looking at things like willow and poplar and things like that. But in terms of improving the soil itself, if it's just compacted soil of an area that might have had machines or cars driving on it in the past, but then maybe you could you could improve the drainage by, by building soakways and, and adding grit and gravel to the soil. But if it's, as I say, if it's because it's naturally a high water table in that area, you you have, you've got to work with nature. OK, all right. Uh, thank you for that, Peter. Have a lovely week and we'll chat again next week. And you, Trish. Thanks a million. Bye bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, the Irishgardener.com. Now, that's where I wrap it up uh, for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Apologies that we didn't get around to all of your texts and calls. Uh, today but as promised as always we do read them all uh, Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon talk to you tomorrow at 10 Court today on 103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.